Good morning. Open with me, if you will, to Romans chapter 1. Everyone had a wonderful Christmas, wonderful New Year. And uh, as we step into that, beginning today, that used to be a thing. I used to love staying up, ringing in the New Year. I like going to bed now. That's enough about that. We had a wonderful time yesterday. We do our Christmas uh, the weekend after Christmas. And uh, so we had a wonderful time. All the boys were out, their kiddos. And uh, always a lot of good food, a lot of fun playing around outside, you know, running around. They've got opportunities to do that. And people bring food. It's like everything that came in yesterday had sugar in it, okay? And there were a few things that I was just really, really pleased to have. First of all, I made some sourdough uh, cinnamon rolls um, yesterday morning, and they were good. I'm not going to tell you what's in them. That's mine. Uh, but some things came in. One of them was a peanut butter cake. It was like his flat cake, you know. And the farther you got to the middle, the more raw it got, which means the more better it got, okay? And I know there was peanut butter in it, and I know there was some other stuff in it. I'm not sure what all was in there. But there was some substance to that stuff, okay? I mean, it had all the good stuff in it. If you don't have the right stuff in it, though, not so good. Put the wrong ingredients into a peanut butter cake, and nobody's going to eat it, right? It's substantial. It has good substance. There's another thing. It was simple. I knew what was in it. I knew everything that was in this. Peanut clusters. You know what's in that? You guessed it, peanuts and milk chocolate. That's it. There's a few of those, I hope, still at the house when I get there. I, I saw Gina raking them off of a plate into a little, little dish, and then the majority of them left with Stephen, and I'm just kind of like, what are you doing? They brought those to us. Why are you sending them home? But the substance of those things that were so good was simply chocolate and peanuts. Take either one of those away. You still got something pretty good. But they were better together. Last week we looked at Paul saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel which was an interesting way to approach it. Rather than saying, I'm proud of the gospel, he said, I'm unashamed of it. He said that because everyone was trying to shame him because of it. We as believers will be shamed because of the gospel, but we should never be unashamed.
We talked about that last week, and I want us to see some more of why he's not ashamed of it. But I want us to see the substance of the gospel. These two verses, verses 16 and 17 of chapter 1, are considered by many the thesis statement of the entire letter. He's talking about the gospel and what it is. And throughout the rest of the letter, he's going to unpack what the gospel is. And he's going to do it in beautiful ways, and we're going to be encouraged by it, I pray. It's known as the gospel. And if you're a believer, if you are the redeemed of the Lord, you know the gospel. You know that the God who created everything loves you. You know that the God who spoke everything into existence had a plan before the foundation of the world to redeem to the uttermost all who would call on him, all who would believe. He had this plan. He's this God who is above everything, and he's made himself known to us. But the one thing about us is, is that we're all sinners. When Adam sinned, sin came to every one of us without us committing a single act of sin. We're sinners. And because of this sin, it's a separation from God. But also it's our nature to sin, to commit acts of sin. And the Bible is very clear to tell us that we're all sinners. We all sin. We all fall short of the glory of God. But then we hear and we see and we read and we hear it preached that God sent His Son into the world. Not to condemn the world, but that through Him we might be saved. Jesus, born, lived a perfect, sinless life, perfect sacrifice for the sin of the world. Nailed to a cross, died, was buried, rose three days later, ascended to the right hand of the Father. And the Bible says, whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. The Bible tells us that those who believe in him, and that belief is accompanied by repentance, it's called conversion, will be saved. Isn't that wonderful? Those of you who are saved, isn't that a wonderful thought? Isn't it a wonderful thing that we, having believed Jesus, and he, having transformed us and changed us and is continuing to change us, has brought us into life, eternal life, where all we knew was death and sin. We know the gospel. But I want to just simply ask this question and 
we're still kind of introducing the letter. Uh, as I've mentioned, this is essentially the thesis statement of the letter. But I want to answer the simple question, what is the gospel? Not what is the gospel as though I just spoke it to you. I just gave you a basic content of the gospel. But what's its substance? And that's one thing I see Paul dealing with here. is the substance of the gospel. It says in verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. I want to answer that question by merely saying this today. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is into salvation. And the gospel is for all nations, all peoples. So let me take a moment to go through that. First of all, the gospel is the power of God. Look what it says. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it, it identifies with the gospel. It, it is the gospel, for it is the power of God. Let's stop there. That word is, a me. It, it's, a, it's a word that speaks of being, okay? It, it's speaking of its substance, its nature, its essence. What is the gospel in its essence? What is it in its substance? Is it just a... A, a plan of salvation that's written on a track that you hand out to people? Is the gospel merely words? The gospel is, what is it? It's substance, it's nature, it's essence. And it says what it is. For it is the power of God. So that word is speaking of something that is real, is actual it's reality and it says that it is the power of god except that the definite article isn't there so it's power of god or a power of god but i think a better way of putting that would be the gospel is divine power The gospel is divine power. Let's understand it that way for a moment. That the gospel, this message of Christ, this message of hope, this message of salvation that involves faith in Jesus Christ and repentance toward him, is divine power at work in us. So when the gospel is proclaimed, when we preach the gospel, it is God at work. It is God working. It is divine power taking place. It's through the foolishness of preaching that he brings people to the cross, brings people to salvation. Much is often made of this word. There's, I think there's six words for power in the Greek language, and this one is dunamis. 
I went to a school, uh, Trinity Heights in Shreveport. We were the Eagles. And uh, so we had this cage setting right there as we walked down the sidewalk. There was this cage, and there was a live bald eagle that the federal government had given us permission to have as a mascot and care for and take care of. And so there was a guy that threw a fish every day and the, a vet that came and checked on it all the time, and his name was Dunamis. I knew this word before anything. His name was Dunamis Power, you know. Supposed to encourage us, I guess, to play football better or whatever. But that was our mascot. His name was Dunamis. His name was Power. And y'all may hear some, an English word there, dynamite. People often refer to this as dynamite. You know, that's where we get our English word dynamite. The only problem with that is gunpowder still had like 900 years before it would be invented. They didn't know anything about the explosive nature of black powder at the time. So the illustration kind of breaks down as to what the power is, the gospel is, the, the power is. There's another word that I think is probably a little better for us. And it's more helpful to us. So it says here that the gospel is the power of God or is divine power. Uh, How about the word dynamic? It is dynamic. Merriam-Webster's defines that as a force or factor that controls or influences a process of growth, change, interaction, or activity. The gospel is dynamical. Can can I use is that a word? Don't Google it right now. Look it up later. But I'm putting that up against logical. Although there's a lot of logic and reason and understanding in the gospel. He's talking about the power of the gospel or divine power that is at work in the gospel or that is the gospel. And it's dynamic. It's a force that influences growth, change, so forth. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, we see a passage I'd like to point it out to you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 18. Paul, the context here is actually there are divisions in the church. And some are saying, well, I follow Apollos. And some are saying, I follow Paul. And some are saying, you know, I follow Cephas. And Paul's kind of like, well, who are we? You know? Kind of like, we follow Christ. And, and that moves him into this, uh, this particular sermon, if you will. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. It is the divine power of God. It is divine power. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. 
Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. In other words, they did not derive a way of coming to discover God on their own through their own uh, uh, wisdom. He goes on, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the message preached, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews, folly to Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, listen to what it says there, divine power and divine wisdom. Uh, those are going against the Jewish looking for signs, that is power, and the Greeks looking for wisdom. He is divine power. He is divine wisdom. He is what we preach. He is the gospel. The proof of the gospel is dynamical rather than logical. The message of the cross, the message of the gospel is dynamic. We see that it's not merely our knowledge. We see that it's not merely us grasping what it says, but the power of God is actually doing the work of not only delivering the message of the gospel, but also working in us such a, in such a way that we can understand it and believe it. For by grace you are saved through faith. And that not of yourselves. None of it is of yourselves. It's God. It's the gift of God. It's the work of God. The power of God. And so we preach the gospel because in preaching the gospel... Divine power is at work in transforming and changing hearts and minds and lives. And people see and understand and hear and understand like they've never understood before because of the power of God at work in you. The gospel is the power of God or the gospel is divine power. And that it transforms and changes lives. We see that very, in a very real way where it says, For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. Brings to the second point. The gospel is for salvation. For into salvation. There the Greek word, I don't know if I pronounce it right, I've always said it, eis, E-I-S. It's a preposition, it means into. If you pass through a doorway, you step into a room. And that's what is going on here. It does something. Uh, the divine power, the gospel, uh, is, 
into salvation. In other words, there is a result for the gospel. It's speaking of a result. That word ice is speaking of the result of the gospel being proclaimed. The result of people hearing and believing the gospel. It is to salvation. Salvation from sin and death. Salvation to righteousness and life. That's such a powerful dynamic, don't you think? It's speaking of a result. I want you to look with me. It says, for it, the gospel, is the power of God into salvation to everyone who believes. This is not speaking of a possibility of salvation coming to those people, to those who believe. It's not speaking of a probability. The gospel is the power of God or divine power into salvation to everyone who believes. In other words, everyone who believes will be saved. That's what he's saying in reference to this gospel. It's not a possibility, it's not a probability, but it is a reality, it is an absolute. That's the result of the gospel. Salvation to everyone who believes. It's vital for us to comprehend this. Comprehend the unseen power of God working to shift our being from one state to another, from death to life. I mean, think about it for a moment, how the gospel changed Paul right there on the road. to And I know that was pretty dramatic, okay? But he heard the same gospel that we heard, okay? He was changed and transformed right there on the road. How about the womanizer who heard the gospel from his mom, and his mom continually prayed for him, and he continued to live in a particular way like the world, and then was converted radically, and then informed Western culture and Christianity for years, by the name of Augustine, and the gospel transformed him. Or how about a slave ship captain who was just this rough man? And the Lord, not only through the gospel, but also through dire circumstances, got his attention and he heard and he understood the gospel and he committed his life to Jesus Christ, and then eventually wrote, Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. The divine power of the gospel transforms and changes. It absolutely saves those who believe in him. He saves such as you. 
I know some of you. It's hard to believe that he saved me. Some of you guys, it's harder for me to believe that he saved you, you know. Power of God. Divine power. You see, it didn't take a decision so much as it took the living God drawing you to him and giving you understanding something of something that is beyond yourself. And he made you alive through the power of the gospel. He changes us. I've often tried to remind people because so many of us didn't come from broken homes or addictions or anything like that where we feel like, well, you know, I wasn't radically changed. Anybody ever feel like that? You know, I wasn't radically changed. I mean, there wasn't anything, you know, mind-boggling or mind-blowing about my conversion. I mean, I'd always heard the gospel, and then I heard it, and I believed, and I know I'm a Christian. You know, it's just kind of a, a transition from this to this. No, 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 no. Divine power brought you from being dead in your sins and trespasses and made you alive together with Christ. You were dead and then you were alive. Please never say, well, you know, my conversion wasn't that big of a deal. Let me remind you again, you were dead. And now you are alive. The gospel is into salvation. And he changes us. And he makes us new. And he gives us new thoughts. And he gives us new desires. And certainly those don't come overnight. And we wrestle and we struggle. But we find God is faithful. He's faithful to continue changing us and to sustain us and to keep us in His grace. Not because we deserve to be kept in His grace. But because He is good and loving and merciful and patient. And when he saves us, he does so to the uttermost forever. The gospel is the power of God. The gospel is into salvation. And the gospel is for all nations. Look what it says. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. To the Jew first and also to the Greek. It says there to everyone who believes, to all who believe. The word all there is, is uh, pas in the Greek. Uh, it speaks of the totality of an object or a collective. A mass of people. 
notice there that he sets the parameters of who all are. This is not all of mankind. It doesn't say that. It says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. There's the parameter. That's why I say that it's not a possibility or a probability, but it's a reality. It's an actuality. That the power of the gospel or the divine power that is the gospel absolutely saves all who believe. Isn't that great news? I'm going to tell you why that's good news, because it helps me in my assurance. In me knowing that I am His. All of that which is designated here. And in this case, it's all who believe. They're saved. It says there, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You know, this gets repeated over and over again. To the Jew first and also to the Greek in several different places. What's he talking about there? Well, if you're not a Jew, you're a Greek, all right, as it pertains to what Scripture says. Anybody, any Greeks in here? Yes? Okay. We're all Greeks, all right? Unless you're a Jew and I didn't know it, all right? There are other places where he speaks of there are other kinds of people, like male and female, slave and free. Jew and Gentile. These are all kinds of people. In other words, what he's pointing out is that the gospel is not only for the Jews, but it's for all the other nations as well. Isn't that great? It's for all the nations. It's for all the races. It's for everyone who is made in the image of God, the gospel is not limited to a particular race. It's not limited to a particular gender. It's not limited to particular uh, uh, circumstances. The gospel's for all to hear. And he saves from all kinds of people. I'm thankful for that. That he saved a Grovite from Shreveport, Louisiana. That's me. I'm a Grovite. The old place in Shreveport called Cedar Grove used to be a community all of its own, but now it's surrounded by highways and all sorts of things. I don't know if the old house is still there on uh, at 1420 Clanton. I moved from there when I was five years old, but I was a Grovite. I can go with the motto, home of the brave, land of the poor. It was the hood at the time, if you will. I kind of grew up around that. Mom and dad said, don't go out the side of the fence. Well, why not? Well, there's bad people out there. And I was kind of like, okay, you know. Of course, it didn't keep me from going outside the fence because we had a tree that dropped berries, and we like to take those things and and just pelt the house with them, you know. And Dad would love it when we did that. 
And I remember standing inside the fence one day, and this guy came down the street. To Mom and Dad said, hey, you watch out for that guy. You know, he comes around, and you, you head off. Well, what that meant is that I went up to the fence, and I said, hey. <clears throat> His name was Shelby. And this was in the early 70s, you know. He had long hair, you know, went down, you know, down around his shoulders, you know, and he's walking down, and he goes, hey. He walked over to the fence. He said, what's your name? He said, my name's Ricky. And what's your name? He said, my name's Shelby. I said, what are you doing? He said, I'm walking down to the store. I said, what are you going down there for? He said, well, I thought I'd get me some, you know, some candy and things like that. He was probably 18, 19 years old. I said, okay. He bebopped on down, you know. He came back by, you know, I'm out in the yard. He said, hey, Ricky, come here. What? He handed me a Butterfinger. Something like that. He said, you have a good day. And I went in, and I told Mom and Dad, and I came in with my candy bar. Mama goes, where'd you get that? I said, Shelby? Who's Shelby? It's that guy y'all told me not to talk to. I shouldn't have been so disobedient to my parents. But that started real early. And so did the influences of that neighborhood, and I carried them to another neighborhood. And the influences of that neighborhood were actually worse than the ones in the hood. And I grew up knowing a lot of sin and understanding things that I shouldn't have understood at the ages in which I understood them. And God saved a wretch like me. Because not only did I understand those things, I did those things. And I came to find out it wasn't necessary for me to do those things because I was already a sinner. Because Adam sinned, all sinned. And there I was in need of a Savior. And at 14, I finally understood the gospel that I'd heard all my life. And he saved me. And my life fell completely apart one year later. When my mom and dad divorced, my dad didn't come home one day. He just made a phone call and said, hey, Sue, I'm not coming home. I didn't know what to do. I was torn apart. I ended up bouncing around, living with different family members, living with different friends, living in a car. At a very young age. It got me into all sorts of trouble, too, by the way, because I didn't have any authority over me anymore. You're saying, well, wait a minute, weren't you saved? Yes, I indeed was. And the conviction of the Lord was all over me. And I met that sweet lady back there, wherever she is. I don't know where she went. Oh, there she is. She's hiding. And God saved her, and at the same time said, hey, you remember me? Yeah. Man, the Lord just worked. I, I tell you that because not only did he save a wretch like me, but he kept a wretch like me. He kept me. And he didn't quit on me. He was patient. And he kept the pressure of the conviction of the Spirit of God on me. Perhaps he's done that in your life, too. Perhaps he's doing it now. 
Perhaps the divine power of the Spirit, the divine power of the gospel is pressing in on you and saying, you know what, I need to know Christ. Or maybe you need to be reignited by the living God. He presses the conviction on you and says, come to me. I love you. I saved you. Paul will be arguing that he justifies us by faith. And I want you to know, he never changes his mind. I've given him lots of reasons to. He never changes his mind. When he saves you, he keeps you. He sustains you, and he will present you one day with great joy. Before the Father. You know, our assurance is that God's divine power that saves you and sustains. This should help us in our assurance. Something about the power of the gospel, it does not change. You know, the same gospel that Paul is talking about is the same gospel that we still preach today. It doesn't change. It doesn't change with society, with culture, with the ages, with time, with popular opinion. The gospel does not change. It's still the same. You can stake your life on the gospel. Let me encourage you to trust Jesus. Trust the gospel. Let the gospel daily work in you. Remind yourself of your need for it every day. I needed it this morning when I got up. You know, Lord, I just want to stay in bed. No, no you got to preach. I just want to stay in bed. Oh, sinful flesh didn't want to get up and come this morning. I love y'all, but yesterday was a big day, you know? And I ate way too much sugar. And so I just kind of wanted to stay in bed. The Lord got me up, and I just prayed as I sat at my desk, Lord, Lord, I am weak, and I'm weary, and I'm tired. I pray, God, that you would help me. And he did. Still here. I hadn't fallen asleep in my sermon yet, so that's a good thing. Remind yourself every day of this gospel. That the divine power of God has saved you and changed you and is keeping you. And you plead with him every day, Lord, make me new. Today, again, keep working in me. Work out your own salvation in fear and trembling, for it is God who is at work in you. He's at work in you. Keep proclaiming the gospel to yourself and to everyone in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father, we uh, thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. I pray, God, that you would help us 
Father, to be faithful to the gospel. Father, not only, Lord, to proclaim it, but to live it and to remind ourselves of our daily need for it. Father, we need your grace and your love and your mercy. And Father, I pray, Lord, that all of our life would be lived in the hope of the future grace that we have in Jesus Christ. Father, the hope, Lord, of his return. The hope, Lord, of you being sovereign and good and faithful to your children. And Father, I pray, Lord, that we would never forget that you never leave us and you never forsake us. We love you in Jesus' name.